Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to the Build Business Acumen Podcast, where we deliver practical knowledge and powerful guidance. Here is your futuristic host, Nathaniel Schooler. This is a great podcast episode where I interviewed Brian Eisenberg. He is a six times New York Times bestselling author. He's a keynote speaker and co-founder of Buyer Legends. He's an internationally recognized authority and pioneer in online marketing, improving conversion rates and helping organizations improve their customer experience. And he shares some great value here. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. I was talking to talking to another one of the other IBM uh, futurists that I met over in over in uh, Las Vegas. I was talking to Billy Billy um, mm-hmm. Billy Howard the other day, and she was actually saying, you know, that people they're just leaving money on the table, and that was so. You know, you call it a revenue blind spot, right? And it, it is it is a huge thing. Um, from 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 what you from what you sent me over, I mean. You, you, you guys have been, you, you and your brother, right, have been doing some research into this. And you, you're saying that it costs them 20 to 60% of their revenue? We have worked with clients helping them solve these revenue blind spots for over uh, two decades now. Well, I'll give you a simple example, right? And you could just see how quick this is. So we were working with Overstock.com back in the day, their website, that they've been testing for a while. They have a team of statisticians, they have their, their marketing team, they have two testing tools and they just can't do anything about it. And we go ahead and we take a look at it and we run them through uh, one of our processes. I send them, here's the problem, here's what you need to do. They changed it. That one graphic change alone on their page accounted for 5% to their top line. One little graphic. Wow. And mind you, They've been staring at this page for months trying to figure it out. And here's the problem with revenue blind spot. And it's why I don't like, like, we all know we're leaving money on the table, but some of it is by choice, right? Because we don't have the bandwidth to execute or, or, or those kinds of reasons. Right. But, but revenue blind spots are, are those that, you know, disappear without you knowing it or seeing it. It's like heat escaping from a poorly insulated home or, water leaking from an old bucket, right? It's just happening. It's, it's these daily deaths by a thousand cuts. And if you think about companies like Sears, right? Is the, the biggest one that we can think of today, right? So relevant. Yeah. It's not one thing that destroyed them that, that, that they lost 20 to 60% of revenue. It's these little tiny blind spots where they couldn't execute. Some of them were as small as paper cuts and others ran much deeper. Now, you know, in the, in the case of Overstock, you know, it was a perspective issue, right? And just by helping them rechange their perspective and asking the right questions, that was just using our persuasive momentum framework, they were able to increase revenue like that. And now, of course, they, they can take that framework and apply it over and over again and say, okay, well, things are not working well here. 
How do we improve it? Well, let's ask these questions. Boom. All of a sudden, they now have a, a method to find remedies to those blind spots. Right, right. Yeah, it's, um, I'm quite amazed, actually, with your new positioning statement, which you kindly shared with me. I will, I will read it out because I, I'm actually very impressed with it. I think it's, I think it's brilliant. It, it, uh, it knocks people sort of sideways a little bit, actually, and I find it, I find it quite... Um, Quite, quite fun, actually. It, like, it, it's got all the things that a brand statement needs, you know, like it's got the authority building, it's got the why you're different and better than anyone else, and it's got personality as well, and, and it explains what you do, right? So it covers all those things. And one key thing that I'm guilty of leaving out for the last couple of years, very careful with this one. You know, in our last two books, and, you know, they've been quite successful. Be Like Amazon has won, you know, uh, business book awards and stuff like that. We were great at presenting solutions without describing what the problem was. Let me read this statement. So the Eisenberg brothers have helped companies increase sales by over a billion dollars using their persuasive momentum framework. They coach and train hundreds of companies like Google, NBC Universal, and health insurance innovations. They help sell products as diverse as software as a service software, SaaS software, eyeglasses, and pig sperm, which gets me every time. They, they, they help you to anticipate what customers need and how to innovate staying ahead of them. And and I just think it's great. I know it's almost finished, right? So, you know, like you, you, you guys use a similar process as I do to doing the brand wording, right? And it's so exciting, like to work. I know I'm working on some wording at the moment because I think, I think what you do, right, is, is, is basically you don't, you don't go into a business and teach people business acumen. You go into business and you actually show people the blind spot and you say this is your blind spot would you like help and they say yes please you say all right i can fix it right well it's a combination of things yeah so we actually our goal is to go in and train them to find their own blind spots okay right it, it it's to pass on the frameworks and the understanding on, on becoming more effective themselves, right? Because, you know, th this brings me back to my old lunch days. There's a ball of self-disclosure called the Johari window, right? Uh, developed by a guy named Joe and a guy named Harry. And what it says is there's a part that's known to you, and let's say you're my customer, and there's a part that's known to me. And then there's a part that we can explore that is unknown to you and a part that's unknown to me. Now, the part that's known to both of us, we're both on this Zoom meeting this morning. Yep. That's the open area, right? I'm wearing a, you know, a, a, a black and white patterned shirt. You're, you're, you're wearing, it looks like a blue and white striped shirt, right? All these things, we're both graying a little bit more since we've last seen each other, right? <laughs> All of these things are in our open area. Yeah. Then there's an area that I know as the business owner that you don't know how we particularly do things, um, things about, you know, why our product is superior that you may not be sharing with their average customer. You haven't even thought about how to share it. And we call that the hidden area. And in the hidden area, our job as great marketers is to help you find ways to open up that hidden area, answer the questions that you as a prospect or a customer would need. 
Then there's an area that's unknown to both of us, and that's called the unknown, right? We don't know what regulations may come, you know, uh, what political changes may happen, right? There's so many things that, so we just kind of leave that alone. Of course, we kind of want to try to anticipate what might happen. And if you're reading kind of where things are going, you kind of jump ahead on that. Like I've been telling clients where search is going for the last six years. And now everything I've been telling them is exactly the way search is behaving today. Uh, and I mean, you can see that in a presentation I did years ago. But blind, blind is the most interesting area because blind is we're, we're unconscious about it. We're not, you know, we're not, it's not something we're doing deliberately, right? We want to know what's going on. It's like trying to read the label of a wine bottle when you're in, inside the bottle. It's impossible to do, right? You're, you're just, you're, you're caught up in that glass. And so today with most importantly, data, right? There's so much data that we have, but it's the perspective of the data that we get that often puts us in the blind spot. Companies get focused in on their own performance data and they neglect what we call customer reality data. Very, very important. Two, they're focused in on their own internal processes, their own internal sales process, their own internal structure, their own internal uh, systems on how they do things, their technology, and they develop growing pains that cause them a lot of these blind spots. And then lastly, you know, customers are evolving quickly, right? Uh, visual disruption is real, right? And this transformation and trying to keep up, keep up with them is a real struggle. And companies love to believe that they're customer centric. And it's the old Bain study, right? Um, just from a few years ago, when they asked 362 executives whether they felt they were customer centric, 80% of them said they deliver an exceptional customer experience. But when they asked those same customers of those executives, only 8% agreed. Now, come on, you know, we're friends. Do we think those executives are idiots? No. I mean, these are smart guys. They didn't get there by accident. Are they callous? Do they not really care about? No, they have blind spots. They, they just have these revenue blind spots that they can't see and little things. And I'll, I'll give you a, a one example. We came into a company, I, I won't name names, but they were in the web conferencing space. They were, they were one of the early ones in the web conferencing space. And when we met with their teams, they talked about the 42 different market segments they had. Now think about that from a perspective. And that's the way they were selling things. That's their view of the world. And when we started listening to how each one bought and how, you know, we get on phone calls and we look on transcripts and we look at, put all this together, six different ways that people bought. There were six buying processes. That's it. We eventually had to turn those into personas for them. And we had to agree on a seventh for a weird edge case for them. But they went from trying to figure out how to sell it to four, two to seven. And that accounted for leads that were gained that were just sitting there because their perspective was wrong and causing them this revenue blind spot. It's within every business though. You know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if, if it's a, a solopreneur who's building a business from ground up on a, on a budget or a shoestring all the way up to massive corporations. Yeah. And well, totally. And, and I mean, I've noticed all sorts of problems, you know, when I go traveling, you know, on BA or whatever, I notice that there, there are, there are, there are people who are upstairs and they're in the management, right? And then there are people downstairs on the ground and no one talks to each other. Yeah. 
the marketing teams are not talking to the people down there. And, you know, there's a kind of massive disconnect, yeah, between between everything generally that's, that's sort of going on. And that's that's my big sort of bugbear, really. But, you well, know. But there's, but, there's, but there's real reason for this. And, and, and so we first need to understand kind of like the history of, of business growth to, to get there. And what's different between businesses today and businesses that were developed even, you know, 30, 40, 50, 100 years ago, right? You know, think about all the problems that GE is happening today. When companies were built for growth over the last number of years, right? And I'm, and I'm talking about recent times, I'm talking about older time. The concept was we add management layers to frontline employees, and then you add another layer to that, and the organization grows big. Yeah. Right? Big equals growth. Then you look at organizations like Amazon, and they focus today on keeping their teams small. Apple, uh, Steve Jobs always used to say, you know, we're never going to have a team larger than two pies of pizza can feed. Now, of course, if that's pizza for me, you know, you may have a team of two. <laughs> okay. But the, but the reality is that organizational structure right, causes these growing pains. And a, a great big example of this is, um, I, I think if we take a look at uh, Walmart and Amazon, and I wanna focus in on just one little product that will totally get understand how challenging work is. So the persuasive momentum framework talks about there's two things that a business must constantly do. You've gotta reduce friction in the customer experience, and you've gotta increase motivation. Okay, very simple. Right. Amazon, if you think about them over the course of the last 20 years, has now dominated e-commerce. No question about it. Right. OK. Walmart has dominated physical retail for the last 50 years. Mm -hmm. One of Sam Walton's credos, right, one of his Ten Commandments, and we talked about this in our book, Be Like Amazon, was that Walmart needed to blaze their own path. This is one of the things he believed in. Now, Walmart was definitely struggling with that, and they've acquired a whole bunch of brands like Jet and Bonobos and all of those little companies, and they're trying to get a little bit more of a digital DNA. Great. But here's the challenge that I want you to think about. Amazon, um, in the last two years, released a new product called Amazon Go. What is Amazon Go meant to do? Amazon Go is the store where you walk in with your app, and you take whatever items you want, and you walk out, done, seamless experience. Yeah. Right? There's no scanning of items. They're just using cameras and scanners and all kinds of other things to know who you are, what you purchased, and people are loving it. They're talking about opening up 2,000 more of these stores over the next few years. Wow. And we say goodbye 7-Eleven, which also has the same blind spot. They haven't taken advantage of this. Now, Walmart, just recently announced that they were doing this um, product in their stores called Scan and Go, where they gave people an app that they can put on their phone. Yeah. And as they went through the store, they can scan the items. And then when they get to the checkout counter, all the way at the end of the shopping experience, they show it to the person there and then they can leave. Yeah. And now think about that. Have you ever been to a supermarket or a store where you have to scan your own items? Yeah. Right? We have that. 
Okay, it's all over the place, right? Yeah. How is that a great experience or an okay experience? It's it's awful. Okay, I, you're being you're being. I think you It's better than waiting on a long line. But yeah, it's not it's not a great experience. It is, but I just moved from the countryside, right? And I okay. just I just moved to a bit closer to London, yeah. And actually, I'm still in the countryside. I love speaking to people yeah what i don't appreciate is being employed by a business yeah to do their work and to not get paid yeah so that goes for easyjet yeah it goes for any business that wants me to scan my own items yeah right they should pay me yeah to do that correct so this is the problem they thought <laughs> friction in the wrong way they thought the friction was the fact that you needed to scan at the end that was that was their perception of friction what they don't realize is that scanning by itself right whether they have an employee do it or i do it is a friction point nobody wants to do it now walmart has endless resources yeah endless they've been in physical retail for way more years than Amazon has ever done. But who is the one who innovated on a seamless, frictionless experience for their customer? Yeah. It's Amazon. I agree. And this is the challenge that organizations have. Um, I was just asked by a friend of mine talking about, you know, Amazon's about to enter his country. And I said, what makes Amazon succeed is that they take data to serve customers really well. That's what they mean by customer centric using data that they collect and that's why if you look at the success of prime it's happened from the moment the iphone was released right. they were growing but iphone released and all of a sudden now i can shop here on my desktop all seamless all together all one unified experience no one else did that and this is the single best device in the world to collect data on your customer with because they've got it all the time on them and now I can serve them exactly what they need. Never forgetting how lazy they are because now, think about it, more people shop, whether it's B2B or B2C, sitting like this, possibly in a stall. I'm not gonna give you the whole visual, okay? But that's become one of the two most popular positions for <laughs> online shopping. It's because- and we're they, not going into the second one. It's because they get away from their wife. It's the only place where she leaves him alone. <laughs> or, or they're taking their break break from work yeah. and they're going to, to the toilet and they're doing their shopping on there. Yeah, yeah. Right? And so when we realize that and we realize, it's not that I don't want to be on here, but I don't want to have to do your work. And so they missed innovating on behalf of the customer and they just removed the wrong friction point. The same example, by the way, you, you can look at this, um, Poopery is one of my other examples of this, right? Uh, think about the growth they've had in the last few years. If I would have asked you 10 years ago, man, your bathroom stinks, what do we do about it? What would be the brands that you would think of? Uh, 10 years ago? 10 years ago. I have no idea. Your bathroom probably stunk back then. No, uh, no, I left that up to the missus. <laughs> That's, oh, why okay. I left, that's why I left her. <laughs> Got it. Okay. It would have been Lysol or Febreze. Yes, Febreze. Yeah. Right. So Lysol's the older one. Febreze a little newer. Right. 
But Poupari said, no, 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 the friction is not in the elimination of the odor afterwards. It's in not letting the odor be there at all. Yes. And so it's the same thing as, as Walmart and Amazon. You have to find the real source of friction and eliminate it. That's what gains you huge momentum. Coming back to the iPhone. When you think about Steve Jobs, when he first announced the iPhone, okay? And, and this is how brilliant this is when you really understand how the model works. The first thing the original iPhone did is it reduced a lot of friction from your current phones. Yes. But it was very expensive to not have a keyboard, to have this all screen, to do all these things. And so he had to build in all these other apps to increase the motivation for us to spend the money because we weren't spending money on phones beforehand. They were given away, right? But he had to increase the motivation. Now, everybody owns a smartphone. Steve Jobs sadly passed away. He was brilliant at innovating on behalf of customers. And now everything that you see that Apple does is an incremental improvement, right? Because they're so operationally excellent under Tim Cook, who is their COO, their chief operating officer, that all they do is they make the screen bigger. They make the processors faster. They, right, they go full screen. They're not really doing revolutionary new innovation at this point. The, the key is to have a system where you're both reducing friction and increasing motivation. Or as we talk about in Be Like Amazon, you have this flywheel that focuses in on customer-led innovation on one side. On the other side, great operations and continuously improving those operations and then moving that cycle over and over again, faster and faster. Lots of little teams like an octopus in every little part getting their tentacles. And that's why you see Amazon's growth the way they are today. And they are formidable. And the only advantage that companies have today when you go, they go to new markets is they don't know the local customer. So there are differences. That's why they're struggling like in China, right? And they need to find all the ways to have the infrastructure in place to reduce friction. And that takes time. So I like to tell companies today, one of their big blind spots is they think they're customer centric. No, no, no. You need to be like Amazon. Understand how they're doing it because it's the only way to compete with them. Yeah, well, I have, I have, the, I have the book, but it had a different name at the time. Oh, you have one of the early versions. Yes. Yeah, I've got the early version. And I really enjoyed reading this book. I really, there's, really did yeah. enjoy it. There's, there's the newer version. There you go. So, yep. yeah. So I really enjoyed reading that book. I think it's a brilliant book. Absolutely brilliant. And, you know, it, it's, it's, it's amazing. You know, you're over across the pond there. And, the, 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 and, and we just think so alike. Like reading that book, I was just like, that's just so, that's just so spot on, really. But not a lot has actually changed in, in business, yeah, over the years. Not a lot's really changed, right? All that's really changed, all that's really changed is there's more data, okay? There's faster analysis of data right correct um and what else and and you can make decisions based upon that data but it's business principles are still the same yeah and so Jeff and, Bezos and, likes to say don't focus on what's going to change focus on what's never going to change well, customers are always going to want their products faster they're yep. always going to want to pay the lowest price right yep. 
And, and so he focuses on that. Now, you have to stay ahead of things because the one thing that has drastically changed is customer expectations. Yes. Because of this digital transformation. Yep. We were sitting in the offices of a very high-end jeweler, okay? Right. They sell very expensive watches and stuff like that. I don't want to talk about it because <laughs> I don't want to give up too much about who they might be. But we're sitting there, we're talking to them, and you know, they talk about how when they get a lead through their website, they, they try to respond to them within 24 hours. So while we're sitting there in the meeting, my brother goes ahead and he goes on Prime Now, and we happen to be in one of the cities that they serve, Amazon serves Prime Now. We get some, some things delivered there in under 30 minutes. And my brother stops the meeting at that point and he says, here's the thing. How can you expect your customers to wait 24 hours for someone just to get back to them when they can get all of these things delivered to their house in 30 minutes? Exactly. The response rate, the response rate dramatically goes down over an hour, doesn't it? An hour is the, an hour was. Well, an hour is death. Well, that, was, that was yeah. the, the, the benchmark. The benchmark. Yeah. Yep. But it's, it's a very interesting, very interesting time right now. And I, and I, you know, I just think that what it is, right, is that people expect more. There's no doubt about it. They expect, yep. they expect everything really fast with a smile really good service really great product uh good price they expect it yeah if you can produce that and you can you can build a great experience yeah for them right yep. then you're going to hang on to those customers and then you're going to and you're going to continue to build on that revenue right but customers now are fickle yeah fickle is one of my favorite words <laughs> as we wrote about, actually, as we wrote about Wayne B. Cat to Bark over a decade ago, right? Customers are a lot more like cats than they are dogs. Yes, they are. So we don't have time to put up with bullshit. Yep. All so, right. You by the way, that. that's the Brooklyn technical term. So it's, it's allowed. Okay. Yep. We want to be entertained. We want to be educated. If you're not doing that edutainment, Yep. You are hurting yourself and you've got to constantly be on this. What's happened is that today the, the, and, and Jack Walsh talked about this at GE. And I think this is where GE struggles today is that the rate of the, of an organization's ability to take data and act on it has just accelerated. It's why you need that, that flywheel moving today. So, it's why you and I are both so excited about things like artificial intelligence and these algorithms that are occurring today, because I can pump in this massive amounts of all kinds of data, video data, uh, picture data, location data, uh, sales data, performance data, um, you know, customers moving. I can take all of this data and let the algorithm surface things for our teams to execute on. And we just need to know, and we need to develop those action plans on how to take data to action seamlessly and let the let the algorithms with our analysts get insights quickly and turn them into action because if we don't do that we're going to let the amazons basically steamroll over us oh yeah and amazon don't care and they want everything they want to own it all yeah well it's it's you funny know. you know it occurred to me today 
again, I'm not sometimes the, the brightest guy in the world. But if you've read the Everything Store, right? When Jeff Bezos first started Amazon, like even before he launched it, remember he launched it as a bookstore. His goal was to be Earth's. Think about that. Earth's. We're going to be a stickler for the words. Earth's most customer-centric company. Earth. Yeah. Everyone thought he was a little U.S. bookstore. No, 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 no. He had global ambitions day one. Yeah. Most means he's got to be better than everyone else. Yeah. Okay. Customer centric. Customer centric is not, oh, I make you feel good. Yes, that's one quality of it. That's one aspect of it. There are many ways to be customer centric. But what he knew about digital business that every other executive missed out on, and they underestimated his ambitions. And this is why retailers have been kind of like laying over the last 20 years, okay? Not understanding his ambitions and he's just steamrolled over them because what he understood was customer-centric means I take every data point, everything you read, everything you buy, everything you gift, everything you wish list, everything you share, every affiliate site that you visit, everything you highlight in a Kindle, every show that you watch, where you pause it. I can take all those pieces of data and use that to serve you a better experience, to serve you what motivates you. And when I do that, I now can be Earth's most customer-centric company. And unfortunately, too many companies, and even today, and as much as I've been trying to help people, they need to be like Amazon over the last number of years, they're still waiting for something to drastically change. And what I'm telling them is, they're great companies. They have a lot of great things inside of them. They just need to react to these revenue blind spots and put in the systems in place so that they can grow the way Amazon grows. Yeah, yeah. It's a very interesting conversation. You know, we could talk about like management styles and, you know, like I have all sorts of conversations with people about management, you know, and like having what you said at the beginning when we were talking about like the way that they just grew the business and put all these new management structures in it's like you know it, it needs to be flat it needs to be flat and it needs to be consensus and and that's it i mean it's pretty simple except except for when there's a problem and someone needs to turn around and go yeah you need to do this because if they don't have the skill and they can't come up with the solution they need someone who can and turn around and just bash them and say look you need to sort it out so that's my attitude about it my, my favorite example of last generation innovation, right, of customer-centric consulting was the person who created the line, please hold on, your call is very important to us. <laughs> and you're sitting there waiting, knowing that, no, it's not, but then you finally get in touch with somebody and they don't have any answers for you and they have no authority. And then you're, you're trying to figure out what magic words can actually get you to a manager who can actually do something for you. So now you finally get through. They do something for you. They resolve your problem in four minutes and 30 seconds. The executive team says, oh, we did a great job because all the surveys say we resolved them quickly. But meanwhile, you and I are pissed off. Again, technical term for Brooklyn. Okay. All right. And we had an awful experience and it rubbed off on us. Now, what makes it possible today 
have these flat structures, you give people authority. If they abuse it, you have the data to show it. You cut it off real quickly. Yeah. But you have to be able to react in real time. Yeah. And yeah. the problem is you add lots of management layers and you no longer can move quickly. Like my my friend who used to work at Procter & Gamble used to say, they're like a dinosaur. That head on top can see from miles and miles away, okay? Gives them a huge advantage. But to move that big body, okay, is very difficult to do. And so our job today is to start thinking about organizations and how do we make them more nimble? How do we let data flow through them? And how do we use a number of different processes to reduce our revenue blind spots? Well, it's been it's been a joy speaking with you, Brian. Which is absolutely, you know, you know, we can we can talk about acumen as a different as a different part. It's growth. Yes. Right. We all have our own personal blind spots. Yeah. Right. We all get really good at certain things, and if we don't become lifelong learners, we're dying a death of a thousand cuts, just like Sears did. To get hold of you, Brian, people people visit what? Where is the best place? They, so they can find me at uh, buyerlegends.com or of course anywhere in social media. I'm on, you know, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram. I I'm happy to connect with people wherever they want to meet me. Thanks so much for listening. Please subscribe and wherever you prefer, share with your friends. And if you enjoyed the show, drop us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.